Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So we're on this journey through the New Testament Gospel of John, and last week as we celebrated Easter together, we found ourselves in John chapter 11. Some of the most amazing events in the entire Bible that Jesus raises one of his best friends, Lazarus, from death to life. And, and you think to yourself in that moment, surely this must have been a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. Surely everybody would have followed him now. Everybody would have trusted him now. Everybody would have worshipped him now. Well, we shall see. John chapter 11, starting at verse 45. That was a turning point for many of the Jews who were with Mary. Again, remember, the man that Jesus raised was Lazarus. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. They saw what Jesus did and believed in him. But some went back to the Pharisees and told on Jesus. The high priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the Jewish ruling body. What do we do now, they asked. This man keeps on doing things, creating God signs. If we let him go on, pretty soon everyone will be believing in him, and the Romans will come and remove what little power and privilege we still have. So this was a turning point in the ministry of Jesus, but not everybody loved him. It was almost like a sharpening of the sides. You were either for Jesus now, or you were against him. And I want to suggest to you that I think it always ends up that way. I would go as far as to say this. I believe there is something confrontational about the person and the message of Jesus. Growing up in Red Deer, Alberta, as a teenager, we had some family that lived out here in this region. And we were told that the Fraser Valley was the Bible Belt of Canada. The Bible Belt. I found out that this city that we're in right now, actually, Chilliwack, had the most churches per capita of any city in Canada, which was weird coming from Red Deer because Red Deer, we had the most bars per capita of every, any city in, in Canada, you know? But it's funny because late in 2022, Statistics Canada did a study, and this is what they found. Chilliwack, this city, is the fifth least religious city in Canada. Now, to put that in a little perspective for me, I found out that Red Deer is the seventh least religious city in Canada. So Red Deer is more religious than Chilliwack. I want to suggest to you that there's something kind of healthy about that. I think there's something about a Bible Belt mentality. Maybe you can relate to that Bible Belt feel. You're from Chilliwack. You go to church, your parents went to church, your grandparents went to church, your great-grandparents went to church. But what can happen in the Bible Belt is we can develop what's called a cultural Christianity. In other words, Jesus becomes a welcome addition to my holiday season. Jesus becomes a passenger that I take with me along the journey of life as I pursue my plans. See, the problem with that is Jesus is way more confrontational than that. He's not looking to be a passenger. He's not looking to be a welcome addition to your holiday season. Jesus stepped into human history and he said, I'm the more that you've been looking for. That every single person who has ever been born, deep down at the soul level has a longing, a longing for more. And Jesus stepped in and said, yeah, that longing is actually for me. I'm the more that you've been looking for. 
Jesus said, I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am peace. I am hope. I am joy. Jesus came to give us real and eternal life. Real and eternal life. Real and eternal life. That sounds good. That sounds good, but what does it cost us? It's such an interesting question, right? Because on one level, what it costs us is nothing. But at the same time, it costs us everything. Let me explain. So, in the New Testament of the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 2, we read that we are saved. We, we receive real and eternal life by grace, through faith. Not by works, so no one can brag about it. Okay? So salvation, real and eternal life, isn't achieved, it's received. It's not earned. It's a gift that's given to us by God through his son, Jesus. What does it cost? Nothing. And yet it costs you everything. And here's what Jesus wants from you. You. You, yourself. And that's where we come to the confrontational nature of the person and the message of Jesus. I believe that until the day that we step into eternity, we will face the same confrontation. It's this, me or Jesus. Over and over and over again, we will face it. Me or Jesus. Well, I've been going to church for a long time, Mike. Yeah, you're still facing it. Over and over again, we will all face it. Spencer talked about some numbers. The Easter service, people who came in person, people who watched online, and I celebrate that. But I gotta be truthful with you, I was looking for a few more. Specifically, a few more. Because I know for a fact, there was people who didn't show up for the Easter service to join us online because they said, and I quote, I smoke way too much weed. Someone who smokes as much weed as me could never show up at church. I know that there are people who didn't join us online or show up here in person because they're addicted to pornography. And they thought, well, someone who's addicted to porn can't show up at church. There, there were others who decided that because they're having sex with someone they're not married to, they could never show up at church. There's another person I heard who said, well, I'm immoral. He just kind of covered everything, right? Like, he said, I'm... I'm immoral. I steal. I steal a lot. And someone who steals can't show up at church. You know what? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely correct. You can't. If, and only if, it's all about me. If it's all about me, yeah, I guess, I guess not. But what if it's not? Like, what, what if it's actually all about him? I had a conversation with a young man early this week. And he came up to me and said, Mike, I, man, I really, really, really wanted to be at the Southside Easter services. I'm like, wow, yeah, for sure. I said, how are you? How are you? He said, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I was like, what do you mean? And this is what he said. He said, what do you think I mean? I was kind of scared because he's a lot bigger than me. He's a tough, tough guy, you know? And I was like, what do, you, what do you think I mean? And so I didn't really know what to say, so... I just waited, and he said, let your mind wander. Whatever you can imagine, you would define someone who is a mess to be, that would be true of me. You see the confrontation? Is it about me, or is it about Jesus? 
see, maybe you're joining us online or you're here in person right now, and that's kind of a fear that you have. You think, man, I'm gonna go to church, and next thing you know, God's gonna tell me I can't smoke weed anymore. I'm gonna go to church, and God's gonna tell me I can't surf porn anymore. I can't have sex with someone I'm not married to anymore. I can't steal anymore. And I just wanna have a conversation, just you and me. And what I'm about to say, by the way, might tick off some religious people, but that's okay, this is just you and me. I wanna tell you that that's not gonna happen. That God's goal is not to get you to stop smoking weed, stop surfing porn, stop having sex with someone you're not married to, or stop stealing. He's not going to do that. That's not why he called you here today. It's not. The reason why he orchestrated events into this spectacular moment isn't to get a hold of one area of your life and give you a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. Here's his goal. Listen to this. It's crazy. Listen, listen. His goal is that you would know him, that you would know Jesus. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Listen, and, when, and hey, and when you get to know him, you're gonna realize how much he loves you. And without even trying, you're gonna begin to love him. And then, one area of your life, are you kidding me? He's gonna blow up your whole life in the best possible way real and eternal life. That's what it looks like. It's a lifelong confrontation though, me or Jesus, me or Jesus, my comfort, my ease, myself or Jesus, me or Jesus, me or Jesus. It doesn't stop when you start coming to church. We opened this facility in 2022. We built it big, room to grow, you know? And what happens is when you give yourself room to grow, things grow. And I sit up there every Sunday, and I watch you come in. And when we first opened the facility, you had your favorite spot. You remember that? And you would just sit there, and it was awesome. It was always available, and you would sit and spread out, and you just kind of felt, hey, man, this is my favorite spot, and I love it, I love it. And now I watch you walk in, and you see that somebody (laughs) is sitting in your spot. And you think I'm about to make fun of you. I'm not. I'm going to ask you if you can relate to me just a little bit. Because I know what I'm supposed to think in that moment. I'm supposed to think, well, praise God. Look at that. There's a wonderful little family sitting in the seats that I love to sit in. Man, bless them, you know. God, be with them today and just help them get to know you better. Because sometimes that's not the first thing I think. Sometimes I walk in, I see someone sitting in my seat, and this is what I think. Who's the idiot sitting in my seat? That's what I think. (laughs) You see the confrontation? Till the day that we step into eternity, it's gonna be this, me or Jesus, me or Jesus. The Easter services were packed. Dave Poole comes up here and he says, hey, I love it, man. If you're, if you're sitting on the outside of a row, if you just squeeze in, just squeeze in, you know? Squeeze in so that the people that are you know, still walking in can find a seat. And I'm up there and I'm on the outside of a row and I didn't move. And I watched you, neither did you. (laughs) Now I know what I'm supposed to think, right? I'm supposed to think, well, of course, I wanna make room for all these wonderful people that are walking in. But there's a part of me that's thinking, well, you know what? I like this seat, it's comfy, you know what I mean? I gotta get up and preach in a couple minutes, so I, I gotta be on the edge. And I don't know, like there's a part of us maybe that's tempted to think, why should I move for these losers that show up late? You see the confrontation? Me or 
Jesus, me or Jesus, over and over and over again. We had three Easter services, one on Saturday night and two on Sunday morning. Saturday night alone, 333 kids checked into Southside Kids. 333 kids. It's crazy. Yeah. So just to give you some perspective on that, it's like just over twice the size of the average North American church. Not kids' church, church church. Okay? So I know my wife, Corinne, she preached all three Easter services to the kids. Talked about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. She's an elite communicator, so I know it was amazing. Okay, so after the Saturday night service, I was in the lobby, and there was a lineup, obviously. There was a lineup for picking up your kids after Southside Kids. And if you're anything like me, you know what you should be thinking in that moment. What you should be thinking is, wow, isn't that awesome? 333 kids. Man, they got, they got truth today. They're just going to carry with them for the rest of their life. It's going to echo into eternity. It's so beautiful. But part of you is probably thinking, this is so stupid. There's free ice cream out there, man. Can we get this show on the road? That's the confrontation over and over and over again. Is it going to be about me or is it going to be about Jesus? A lady walked up to Corinne on Sunday and she said, are you Corinne Manis? Corinne said, yeah. She said, oh, I just wanted to tell you, this is exactly why I don't come to Southside. <laughs> Thank you so much. She says, hey, do you, do, do, do you know something? She said, we drove around for 10 minutes to find a parking spot. I so get that. It's annoying. But I wonder what would happen if we were driving around looking for a parking spot and we would realize the reason why I can't find a spot is because there's a car there, okay, okay? This is high-level stuff, okay? So I'm just, <laughs> stick with me if you can. And in that car are a bunch of pe people, people are in that car. And they're in there hearing about Jesus. That's sort of exciting, right? But that's the confrontation. Always, 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 me or Jesus, me or Jesus. It was so funny. One thing I uh, was going to tell you, I didn't tell the first service this, but I found it really, really interesting over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. I had dozens of people walk up to me and say this. Listen, they said this to me. Great speech. And I love that. Not the great part. I mean, cool. Okay, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Do you understand? You know who doesn't say great speech? You know who doesn't say that? Churchy people don't say that. Right? They would say, blessed sermon, my brother, or something like that, you know, something different, right? <laughs> and a great speech. I'm like, yeah, it was. All right, let's go. Let's go. But that's the confrontation, and we see it in this passage in John chapter 11 for these religious Jewish leaders who have been looking forward to the Messiah for their whole lives. They didn't like Jesus when they thought he wasn't the Messiah. They like him even less now that they found out he is the Messiah because he threatens their little power and their little privilege and their little lives. It should be noted also, Jesus' response. Days later, Jesus will weep over the city of Jerusalem. He's brokenhearted for those religious Jewish people who are choosing their power, their privilege, their little lives over the one who came to give them eternal life. Then one of them, it was Caiaphas, the designated chief priest that year, spoke up. Don't you know anything? Can't you see that it's to our advantage that one man dies for the people rather than the whole nation be destroyed? 
He didn't say this of his own accord, but as chief priest that year, he unwittingly prophesied that Jesus was about to die sacrificially for the nation, and not only for that nation, but so that all God's exile scattered children might be gathered together into one people. I love that, right? Because he thinks he's just looking out for his little life, but he's speaking a prophecy that Jesus is going to come to die for all people. From that day on, they plotted to kill Jesus. So he no longer went out in public among the Jews. He withdrew into the country, bordering the desert to a town called Ephraim and secluded himself there with his disciples. So events are starting to cascade now. Jesus is going to die. He's going to die willingly, but it's not his time yet. So he goes and secludes himself until the time is right. The Jewish Passover was coming up. Crowds of people were making their way from the country up to Jerusalem to get themselves ready for the feast. They were curious about Jesus. There was a lot of talk of him among those standing around in the temple. What do you think? Do you think he'll show up at the feast or not? Meanwhile, the high priests and Pharisees gave out the word that anyone who knew his whereabouts should inform them. They were all set to arrest him. End of chapter 11. Chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before Passover, Jesus entered Bethany where Lazarus, so recently raised from the dead, was living. Lazarus and his sisters invited Jesus to dinner at their home. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those sitting at the table with them. Mary came in with a jar of very expensive aromatic oils, anointed and massaged Jesus' feet, and then wiped them with her hair. The fragrance of the oils filled the house. What a contrast, right? You got people who hate Jesus and people who love Jesus. People who hate Jesus and people who love Jesus. People who hate Jesus, usually they've been faced with a confrontation, me or Jesus, they chose me. And in this little passage, we see three people who love Jesus. They choose him. We see Lazarus, we see Martha, and we see Mary. What a party that must have been, you know? Just days after Lazarus was raised from death to life. What a party. And it's so cool to see how they express that love in three different ways. The, the, the first one we notice is Lazarus. What was Lazarus doing at that party? He was just sitting there. He was just sitting there. I wonder if anyone needed to convince Lazarus, hey, Jesus loves you. I doubt it. I wonder if anyone needed to convince him, hey, uh, you, you can trust him. I doubt it. I wonder if anyone had to persuade Lazarus to be grateful. I don't think so. There's something powerful about just sitting in the presence of Jesus. It's one of the things that we do when we hold church, when we join together in a service like this. Man, I love it. I sit up there. The band plays. I love every song that the band plays. But there's some that really stick out to me. There's one that we sing, and we're singing it to God. We say, fear is not my future, you are. That sickness is not my story, you are. That heartbreak's not my home, you are. Death is not the end, you are. Do you see the confrontation in that song? Because if it's all about me, none of that's true. But if I trust him, if it's all about him, I can sing that with faith. There's this other song that we sing called Gratitude. It's just that. Just saying thank you. Thank you. I take my eyes off of me and I place my eyes on Jesus and I say thank you. The second person in this story is Martha. She serves. She serves. 
It should be noted that Jesus doesn't want you to love him because he's needy. You're not sitting around going, well, finally they're singing a nice song to me. You know, Cam finally hit one tune right in that last song. Finally, you know. No, he, he, Jesus isn't needy. Jesus knows that you and I were created to love him. That when we start to love him, when we start to choose, instead of me, I choose Jesus, I start to live my life on all cylinders. So Martha's serving. Jesus said, you know what? I didn't step into human history to be served, but to serve. You should do the same. He's not saying, I could really use an extra set of hands, you know? No, he's saying, you want to be blessed? You want to be a blessing? You want to be blessed? You want to be a blessing? You want to be a blessing? You want to be blessed? Here's how you do it. You serve. Serve. The Bible says that when we step into eternity, we're going to meet Jesus face to face. What a moment, you know? We're going to see him and we're going to instantly know that he's the best friend that we could ever imagine having and he is our friend and we're going to know it times infinity. And we're going to meet him face to face and we're going to know immediately that he's the most impressive person that we could ever imagine seeing times infinity and he's my best friend. And there he is and he's going to look at you and he's going to say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. What a moment. Then he'll say this, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you actually welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you helped me. I was a prisoner and you came to visit me. And we're gonna look at Jesus, the best friend we could ever imagine having, the most impressive person we could ever imagine meeting and we're gonna look at him and go, when were you ever hungry, you know? And he'll say, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these, whatever you did for the poor and the hurting and the broken, you did for me. So Jesus isn't saying I could really use an extra set of hands. He's inviting you into something called redemption and it's so beautiful. It's funny, so Corinne preached all three services to the kids and she was exhausted. She was still tired Thursday. I'm just being honest. I mean, it's hard to hold attention for that many kids for that long, right? Look at you. You guys are so well behaved, most of you, by comparison, okay? So, but the whole staff was like that. I, I, bet, I bet you can relate a little bit. If you served last weekend, I bet you can relate just a little bit. The staff were like zombies for most of the week, to be completely truthful. I was up telling them my best red deer stories and they were just staring at me like they weren't even funny and they were funny, okay? <laughs> They're just exhausted. It's a good kind of exhaustion though. You know what I mean? A good kind of exhaustion. I, I, I gave of myself. I was a blessing and I was blessed. It's a beautiful thing. And finally we got Mary. Mary. The, the bottle of perfume she poured out in today's dollars was about $60,000. There it goes. It's radical generosity. You see the confrontation again? There's Martha, and she's not serving me. She's not serving herself. She chooses to serve in Jesus' name. Well, now you got Mary, and she's being radically generous. That makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. 
if life is all about me, that makes no sense at all. Because my money is my money, <laughs> right? Okay, but what if we respond to Jesus' confrontational question? Is it going to be about me or is it going to be about Jesus? What if we respond, it's about Jesus? Oh, then it's not my money. It's not my money. It's his money. And he's entrusted it to me to live a radically generous life where I am a blessing to others. And in exchange, he says, and guess what? You'll be incredibly blessed along the way. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, even then getting ready to betray him, said, why wasn't this oil sold and the money given to the poor? It would have easily brought 300 silver pieces. He said this not because he cared two cents about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of their common funds, but also embezzled them. Jesus said, let her alone. She's anticipating and honoring the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you. You don't always have me. It's interesting because you look at the, this passage and you got those who hate Jesus and you got those who love Jesus, but I don't really know where to put Judas. Those who use Jesus, maybe? See, he's the treasurer. He keeps all the funds for the disciples, but he's skimming. So his flakes are super frosted because that $60,000 worth of perfume could have been sold and he could have taken his cut right off the top. There's those who use Jesus. We see them in the world today. This would be a pastor or a preacher who's not about making a difference, but making a dollar. This is about people all over the world today who will misquote Jesus, misrepresent Jesus, misquote the Bible to justify their greed, their prejudice, their hatred, and their violence. It's just so interest, interesting what Jesus says. He says, Judas, that's a great idea. You really should look after the poor. And you're always gonna have the chance. It really hit me, you know. When we choose, when Jesus confronts us with the, is it gonna be me? Is it gonna be me? Or is it gonna be Jesus? When we face that confrontation, we answer Jesus. Our life really becomes about two things. Tangible help and gospel hope. That's it. That's what Jesus did, right? Like you, you, looked at, you look at the miracles of Jesus. He turned the water into wine to save a young couple from social disgrace at that wedding banquet. He fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. He made, he made crippled people walk. He made blind people see. He, he healed lepers. He made, made dead people live. He provided tangible help. And that's what we want to be about at this church. That's why we consistently remind ourselves we are for this city. We want to provide tangible help. We give hundreds of thousands of dollars a year away in tangible help because we're following in the footsteps of our Savior. Follow me, he says, into radical generosity, tangible help, but also gospel hope. It's fascinating, actually. If you read through the Gospels carefully, you will notice this. Jesus always prioritized preaching even above miracles. Can I give you a, a, a silly example of why? Because Lazarus died again. I know, sad story, right? Like he was dead, 
and Jesus called him out of the tomb, and that was awesome, and he was alive again, then he died again. In other words, gospel hope says this, there is a hope that goes beyond this world. There is a savior who wants to give you real and eternal life. And so we give tangible help, but always gospel hope. Tangible help says we care. And people don't always care how much you know until they know how much you care. We give them tangible help but then we always give them gospel hope. There is a savior, his name is Jesus, and you gotta get to know him. Word got out among the Jews that he was back in town. The people came to take a look, not only at Jesus, but also at Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. So the high priest plotted to kill Lazarus. Come on, man, like... Guy's having a tough week because so many of the Jews were going over and believing in Jesus on account of him. I heard a preacher say once, this life, this life is not a playground, it's a battleground. We all get that, right? You look at Lazarus. This life is not a playground, it's a battleground. I wanna call a quick timeout, just real quick. There's been a few times as we've journeyed through John's gospel that we arrive at a specific passage and I feel like we're supposed to push pause. And that's gonna happen next week. There's a a passage in John chapter 12 that we're gonna pause on for five weeks. It's gonna be a series within this journey. Does that make sense? And I will tell you right now, it's unlike any series that we've ever done at Southside Church. We're gonna talk very specifically about the whole notion of spiritual warfare. We are in a spiritual battle. And the truth is this. We all know it. We all know this life is not a playground. This life is a battleground. We see it every single day. I've said to you before, man, there's more to you than meets the eye. We all know that. Dissension in your family insecurity, anxiety, depression. This life is not a playground. And what I want to suggest is there's more to this life that meets the eye that will explain why we feel like we're in this battle. Because here's what I think about you and me. If I'm in a battle, it doesn't help pretending that we're not in a battle. But what I want to do is in a non-weird, non-spooky way for five weeks, I want to tell you, I want to, I want to tell you the truth, which is this. You're in a battle and you're going to win. You have everything you need to win. So we're gonna get really, really practical. So I wanna ask you, if you can pull it off, if you can make it happen, make it a priority to be here for the next five weeks. Really, really important. And if you have anybody that you know that's never been to church before, get them here. Get them here. If you have somebody that's been in church their whole life, but maybe there's one area that they just can't seem to move forward in, get them here. It's not a playground, it's a battleground. I was thinking about the fact that two chapters earlier in John chapter 10, Jesus says that we have an enemy, the devil, and he comes to steal and kill and destroy. And as I close this sermon today, I couldn't help but think that our spiritual enemy, the devil, 
He just reverses Jesus' plan. So here's the choice, me or Jesus, right? And the devil always says, choose door number one. Choose me, choose self. So we walk around in this world and we, we kind of got this deep soul level longing for more, you know? And the devil says, hey, you're the more that you've been looking for. Jesus is a cosmic killjoy. He just wants to wreck your fun. What are you doing? Hey, you, you can find the more that you've been looking for on your own. You need to find it. You need to run. Whatever feels good for you, just do that. It's going to be awesome. The, the Bible says that he's a liar and a tempter. That's what he does. He says, you know what? You're the more that you've been looking for. You can figure this out. You got this. And then, for many of us, we've spent years of our lives. Maybe you're there right now, and you've been trying. You've been trying that plan. And I'm gonna fulfill myself. I'm gonna fix everything that's broken. I'm the more that I've been looking for. And then you look back at your life and you go, seems like a little bit of a mess. And then the enemy shows up again. Remember how I told you at first he was a tempter? Oh, he comes back. But now he's not a tempter anymore. He's an accuser. And he says to you now, what was that? <laughs> you made a mess of that, didn't you? What were you thinking? You, you understand, right? That God could never love a mess like you. You know that, right? That Jesus could never have a plan for a mess like you. You see it? Starts out as a tempter, ends, out, ends up as an accuser, and Jesus still stands and says, I got a plan. As I close today, I wanna suggest to you that Jesus has a word for you. That back before you started running and you went through that, that part of your life that maybe now you would refer to as a mess. Before you made the mess, Jesus had a message. Here's what it was. You need me. I love you. I'm gonna save you. Okay, okay, right? That was his message. And then you made a mess. I don't want to look like for you, but it was a bit of a mess. And now you look back and Jesus is here and he's got the, listen, he's got this crazy message for you. And here's what it is. Remember what I told you what his message was before the mess? Here, here it is now after the mess. You need me. I love you. I'm going to save you. Let's pray. So I guess that's my question as we close today. When you look back at your life, when you look back at these last few months, whatever it is, have you been trying and trying and trying on your own? Trying to be the more that you're looking for in your own strength. And maybe you look back now and you go, I think I made a bit of a mess of it. Jesus has a message for you. You need him. He loves you. He's gonna save you. Everything that needed to be done, he's already done. He died for you, he rose again for you. I just want to give you the opportunity with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. If today is the day, today is the day you want to say, Jesus, I trust you. I want you to be the more that I've been looking for. I want you to forgive my sins, give me strength and hope, real and eternal life. Just shoot your hand up right now, nice and high, please, because I want to pray for you. amazing if you're watching online and it's safe to do so I would love if you could raise your hand too if that's where you're at today something powerful about that outward expression 
that goes along with an inward commitment. If your hand is raised, you can put it down. I'm gonna pray out loud. I invite that you, if you just raise your hand, to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. I put my faith in you. I give myself to you today. I thank you that you died for me, that you rose again for me. I accept forgiveness and a brand new start. I pray that you give me strength to follow you one next step at a time into real life, real life, real life that starts now and stretches into forever. I thank you in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate. So here it is. Here's, 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 the, here's the confrontational message of Jesus, always. Is it going to be me or is it going to be Jesus? And I want to ask you to step out of your comfort zone a little bit this week. Next week, we're launching into this five-week series within the journey. It's important. So get everyone you can here, and I'll meet you then. Love you. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.